Com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Renee Shepard, owner of Renee's Garden, which is a great source of vegetable urban flower seeds. Welcome, Renee. Thank you. Now, how long have you been doing the seed business? I have been in the seed business for a really long time, most of my adult life, since about 1985. Wow. That, that is a long time. And how did you get started gardening? Well, I had a grandmother who was an active and avid gardener and did a lot of um, preserving. And I used to spend time with her every Saturday while my mom went shopping for the family. And so we used to go out in the garden and see what was going on, and then she'd make me lunch. So I came by it in a very natural way. So I always enjoyed it. Uh, how, how old were you? Oh, that started when I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight. Could I really encourage kids to get into the garden, get and parents to get their kids into the garden because it's such a wonderful resource for them as they grow older, and it's a skill they have it for for the rest of their life. Well, not only that, it's a really great activity for parents and kids to do together, and it's a lot of fun, and it doesn't cost anything. And as you say, it's it's something that you know your children will enjoy all their lives. Yeah, you mentioned the together thing, and I, I think that's so critical. I learned to garden with my grandmother and my mother, and, you know, I would follow them around, and I remember my grandmother used to laugh that if, if any time they couldn't find me, I'm either looking at the ponies or in the raspberry patch. <laughs> and I was always torn between the two, which I wanted to do. I would say you had so you started gardening, um, gardening when you were about seven with your grandmother, and then did you garden all your life after that? Then, uh, no, not really. I started a garden when I first um, when I when we bought our first home. There was space enough for a garden, and I started one. I wasn't really in any place to garden for most of my school life. I know how that works. I had an African violet on my college windowsill until it cold, it froze because it was so cold in Wisconsin. But, yeah, gardening space is, is little short supply. Though I understand a lot of colleges now are um, are finding places for, for the students to garden in. I think that's a great idea. Our yeah. local, our UGA has um, both space for people to learn how to, to, to garden for their own benefit, but then they also have another garden where the students volunteer to raise money for the food bank. Right. I think that's a big movement in a lot of places. Actually, our trial garden for the East Coast is located at Middlebury College, um, so it is a student garden, just of the kind you're talking about. They grow a lot of food for the food service, um, and then they also take some things to the farmer's market. Oh, that's good. I guess it. I guess it helps them a lot developing a good business sense too, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Kind of like when I was a kid and I would grow tomatoes and put them out 
uh, and before that I had lemonade stand and put it, had it right by the road when people were coming home from work. So that's kind of a fun thing to do. I'm glad that some of the colleges are doing it now. So you started gardening when you're a kid and then gardened as an adult, but you've also raised, you've also written three cookbooks, haven't you? Well, if I have convinced people to grow radicchio, they probably want to know some good recipes for it. And <laughs> I had to do the same thing as I grew things from all over the world. And also, if you have three or four ways you make green beans and you get tired of them because you planted a big crop of them, they need new ideas. So I found that to be true in my life. And since I've always sold seeds to people who like to do the same things, um, that's how I got started writing cookbooks. Oh, that's great. And so you grow everything in your garden there in California, and then you make up recipes as you go along, as you harvest, or how do you do that? Well, um, we, we try to grow and evaluate all the varieties we sell to make our choices of what tastes best and grows well. And we also have trial gardens in other parts of the country because I want to make sure everything will grow in all the climate zones where we have customers. And then when we harvest it, by trial grow, I mean I buy seeds from seed producers, very small organic producers and uh, traditional producers in other countries who grow the seeds and ship them to us. But before I buy seeds, I trial grow them for a couple of seasons to choose which variety to sell. For, for example, uh, I can buy, let's say, a real pretty old flower like columbine. I can buy it from 12 or 13 different seed growers, and I always want to find the best one with the best colors and the most vigorous plants, or in the case of, let's say, um, Brandywine tomatoes, old heirloom that a lot of people love, I can buy that from six or eight sources, and I want to find the best, most disease-resistant, best-tasting strain. So we trial grow them, and yes, I do cook with them and try to develop recipes um, that really bring out their, all the best aspects. So yeah, a lot of cooking goes on here. And then if we um, try to do a recipe, we usually have an evaluation of it with by inviting friends to dinner to try it, and then we make it again several times. It, it is really a long process. And I try to have vegetables, um, recipes for every vegetable I sell um, over the uh, oh, two, three, or four-year period. So there's been three cookbooks over the years, all with separate sets of recipes. One of the recipes that I tried that was really a surprise to me, I grew Portuguese kale and from from one of the seed sample packets that you were kind enough to send me some years back. And then I discovered it was really tough. And I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do to it because just, you know, eating it, especially the larger leaves, um, just like you would a regular kale, would, would be kind of out of the question. And I didn't want to kill it by cooking it like collards. So I went back to your website, and I found this great recipe for Portuguese kale soup. Yes, it was wonderful. Um, traditionally how it's eaten, it really has to be eaten young. Um, not You don't really leave it to mature because the leaves get pretty big, but it's a real traditional item, and basically they use it for soup which I put a recipe up for that, too. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But your recipe, I've got to tell people that your website, reneesgarden.com, has just huge amounts of information. I don't think I've ever seen a seed 
set source that had as much information as you have on your website and then on your seed packets. Your seed packets are absolutely gorgeous. Who, how did you decide to do that? Well, um, I write all the copy for the seed packets of how to grow it and how to use each item um, based on our own growing experience. Um, so, because as I said, we evaluate everything in the trial garden, and then uh, the illustrations um, are painted by uh, a botanical illustrator I've been working with for many years. We take pictures of the, say, if it's a vegetable, like your Portuguese kale, in the garden, and then she paints its portrait, and those are what we put on the front of the packets and then on our website we have lots of pictures of the actual vegetable growing in the trial garden so people can see what it looks like both ways and yes we really emphasize um, writing our packets for people who are not experienced gardeners so they'll be successful I love that part and I also love that in your and I send people over here um, to your website fairly frequently because you've got a whole section on gardening help Talking about, you know, about the seeds themselves and growing from seed and and basic gardening, and and then you've got a little section on the cooking too, and I think that's so valuable because so many people are divorced really from the roots that that you and I had gardening from childhood and having a parent or grandparent and. There are lots of millennials now that are striking out on their own, and they've never gardened before. Yes, but the good news is that they think that gardening is a good thing to know how to do. Um, a lot of old skills are coming back into style, like canning and preserving, dehydrating and putting things up. So I think a lot of people are coming to garden nowadays from the cooking side of the equation rather than the other side. So I, I think we get a lot of new gardeners. And most of them want to garden because they want to have fresh, nutritious food. A lot of people want to have organic food, and they want to know how to be self-sufficient. I think that's wonderful that they're that they're coming that they like to cook, and they realize that food can be healthy instead of the junk that they've probably eaten a good part of their life. And you know, I remember when when TV dinners came into being. And they were kind of the be-all and wonder of, of the kitchen for a while. And then, you know, the gardening skills got lost. Well, you, in the last 10 years, with the advent of the food channels and food on the Internet, I think there's a lot, people are either really not interested in food, even a lot of fast food in this country, of course, but there's certainly a huge healthy food movement um, and that's where the new gardeners are, a lot of the new gardeners are coming from. I love that. And I, I'm just so happy that you have all this information out there. And I, I have been very picky about a lot of websites that give wrong information. And so far I haven't found wrong information on yours. Well, you know, everything we do is based on our own gardening experience. So, you know, we, you know by we, I mean I have four people who work in the trial garden here, and we grow about 350 different things every year in small patches, just like a home gardener would. We're organic gardeners and try to keep up with all the latest aids for organic gardeners, um, and we really, so we get to know what we sell. So I don't sell it unless I really think it's great and I've successfully grown it myself. And a lot of the articles... I 
but are based on our own gardening experiences. Mm-hmm. We have to take a little break right now, but when we come back, I'd like to talk more about that. And you mentioned um, that it, that you do it organically, and I think that's also something else that, it's, that people want to hear. So we'll be right back after this break. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Today I'm talking to Renee Shepard from Shepherd's Garden, which is a wonderful source of seeds. And right before the break, you mentioned that you grow organically. And you also have some seeds that you get in that are also grown organically. Is that right? Well, Bill, um, my company is called Renee's Garden, just so you know. Um, and we are um, we sell a complete line of certified organic seed as well as conventionally grown seeds. But our trial gardens, where we evaluate new varieties, are, are or we grow organically and have done for about 20 years. Yes, it's increasingly easy to be an organic gardener because um, there are many good um, organic, non-toxic pest and disease controls that there didn't used to be 10, 15 years ago because it's getting to be a fairly good-sized sector. I think everyone knows that places like Walmart, for example, now sell organic food. And in California, where my home base is, 12% of the vegetable production is organic. So it's become pretty mainstream. That's a good thing to know. And the other thing, one of the things I like that you uh, trial them and you grow them organically is that you know what's going to be pest prone and you can kind of weed those out. Well, yes, although there are getting to be some very good um, pest controls that are non-toxic and organic that target the pest insect and nothing else. A lot of people don't realize what certified organic means, though, and um, that's also important. Um, anything that says certified organic, and those two words are important, and it has the little green symbol with the bar across, that's USDA 
certified, which means that producer um, has applied for and been accepted into the organic program run by the USDA, and they get inspected regularly and have to agree to grow things by um, with organic practices, and they get inspected. So certified organic actually has real legal meaning now. Um, when you talk about pest controls, of course, I garden organically, and I try not to have to use them, but when I do, they're, of course, organic. Where can people go for more information on that? Well, I think the Internet is a really good source of, um, of answers, and there's a number of companies that sell these products, but most good metropolitan garden centers should have um, good organic or non-toxic pest controls for many common insects and diseases like uh, and mildew, for example, fungus diseases, blights of various kinds. There's more coming out all the time. It takes a long time sometimes for them to get made, made more available to home gardeners. But one of the easiest things to do for insect control, if you want to grow organically, is to use um, both row covers and fine meshes um, uh, with uh, put hoops over your garden beds and use very fine netting or row covers to exclude the pests. And that sometimes can be very successful for things like leaf miner and um, spider mites and other early season pests. And I love watching the cabbage white butterflies bounce up against that, that fabric, the row cover, and they can't get in to lay their eggs on my broccoli anymore. Yeah, that's I don't know if, if um, cabbage worms are a problem where you are, but here they're just a mess, and we have, we have two kinds now. I think cabbage worms exist all over the country, and remember, we have trial gardens in Vermont and Florida and Seattle, so I'm very aware of how everything is everywhere. <laughs> so one thing we you, need a, you need a trial garden here in the south, though. Well, I certainly have a lot of good friends who grow things in the south, and they tell me, uh, I send them seeds, and you're, you're one of them who has gotten seeds from us, and I usually do hear mm -hmm. that from people. Okay, we, we were starting to talk a little bit about certified organic, and what are the other terms that people might see? That's the only one that has legal status and, and meaning. If someone just says, you do not need to be a certified organic to obviously grow your own garden, because that's um, a government designation so people can be assured that organic practices were followed for food products or um, any other kind of thing that you're going to purchase. But to garden organically, you just need to follow organic practices. Unless but you're going to sell your produce and call organic it just organic. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. The same what about um, another thing people worry a lot about is genetically engineered organisms or GMOs, there really aren't any genetically modified seeds in the home garden universe right now, and there probably won't be because no one wants to buy them. So um, that's not something home gardeners really need to worry about. The genetically engineered seeds that are in the world now are commercial crops, such as uh, corn that's used for corn syrup and cornmeal, um, cotton, um, rapeseed, and um, and uh, different grains like that, but it's but there really aren't or, um, 
genetically modified seeds in the home garden universe. And I hope it stays that way forever. Well, and I, I hope that they get rid of the rest of the genetically genetically really modified stuff. Genetic I can see genetically modified food for a couple of, you know, for example, the papaya that has that terrible virus. And they're um, about seeds. You do not need yeah. to worry about buying genetically modified seeds for home gardens for several reasons. One, they're very expensive. Two, to buy them you have to sign a licensing agreement and you're not allowed to save them. And the folks who make them are not interested in selling them to the home garden market. And most importantly, us, those of us in the packet seed company know that our customers don't want them. So they really aren't out there. What percentage of certified organic seeds are you selling now versus um, just regular sourced seeds? Well, I want to make sure that we are clear. To grow a garden, you do not have to use certified organically grown seeds. You have right. to garden organically. Um, so, um, but we have a lot of customers who want to buy certified organically grown seeds for environmental reasons and because that's their choice. So I would say, oh, maybe 15% of the seeds we sell are from certified organic seeds. There aren't as much choice in certified organic seeds right now in terms of varieties. That, that will change as more people grow them, but right now um, you can get good organically grown seeds, but not as many varieties, that's all. Where do you get all your seeds from? You mentioned some are international. Well, How I does that work? We buy seeds from all over the world, and I try to have seeds from their country of origin, so I buy basil from Italy. Um, like I say, we trial everything here, and I try to buy, for example, uh, things from the, from the country where they're loved best. So I buy a lot of things like kohlrabi from Germany, um, Japanese eggplants from Japan, a Japanese company, and so on. But we also buy a lot of seeds from good American companies, and the things we can't find that are grown for the home garden market or small growers market, which is where we get a lot of our seeds, um, I have contract grown by farmers. You mentioned um, the Japanese eggplant. I've tried, I, I, one of your samples, you have that Asian trio of eggplants, and I absolutely fell in love with uh, particularly farmers' long. Was that from Japan or someplace else in the middle in the east? No, that's from Japan. It's just a lot of seed. In fact, most of the broccoli that we grow in the United States comes from companies in Japan produce um, a lot of the seed for that. It's it's grown out here, but a lot of it's bred by Japanese companies. Interesting. I remember at some, seeing at some trade shows companies like Sakata, um, and and was fascinated about what what's coming down the pike, what they're breeding. It's always interesting. But if people don't think that they like eggplant, get Renee's Asian Trio and grow them, and see which one you like best. Even my husband will eat those, and he wouldn't touch regular eggplant with a ten foot pole. Well. I understand a lot of people don't like eggplant, but it can be a strong-tasting vegetable or a kind of soggy vegetable. I find it's best to slice it thinly, 
brush it with oil and just um, roast it till it gets a little um, crusty on the outside. And it, it's really good with some Parmesan cheese and a little basil over it, maybe some fresh tomatoes. I haven't tried that. About how long do you have to bake it? Um, not oh, too long. It. it takes about 8 to 10 minutes, and then they get kind of crusty on the outside, and um, then they're soft inside, and they're really delicious, very simply prepared. Eggplant is not a vegetable that needs a, a lot of oil added to it, but most people think of it in terms of eggplant parmesan, um, which is a pretty delicious but heavy dish, and there's a lot faster ways to eat it. You can also stir-fry it really easily. One of the things I like to do is marinate it in a little olive oil, vinegar, and herbs, and then after I slice them lengthwise, and then we throw them on the grill. Oh, yeah. Well, and we'll that's, 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 yeah, that's a great way to do it. Okay, so we mentioned that you have, um, you had, you mentioned a, a seed source or, or seed company that was doing kind of garden basics and you had some sheets on that. Can you tell people where they can get those? I'm sorry, I couldn't quite hear you, Daryl. Um, you had mentioned when we were talking between, in the, during the break about a company that has seed growing basics. Oh, that isn't a company. We have a trade organization of many family, smaller family-owned seed packet companies. It's called the Home Garden Seed Association, and we have lots of information, amongst which are some resources like explaining how genetically engineered seeds, what they are, and um, hybrids and heirlooms and all those definitions of a lot of the terms. And then we have lots of how-to articles and articles on attracting pollinators and container gardening and lots of other info. And the website address is easy, like the letter E and the letter Z, easyfromseed.org. Okay, I will put that up on our Facebook page in case anybody missed it, easyfromseed.com. Yeah. Okay, and <clears throat> when we come back, we've got to take a little break pretty soon, but I'd like to take maybe our, take our viewers, listeners, through kind of a year in the life of seed sourcing or something like that or how do you how do you find the seeds and then find the growers for them and then get them in your pretty packets and, and get them back um, to the home gardener. We gotta take a little break right now, but when we come back we'll be talking about all that and more on America's Homegrown Veggie Show. We'll be right back. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. 
This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and today I'm talking to Renee Shepard from Renee's Garden. And we were talking about how you got things from an inter- from a um, an international source and from local sources. But how do you pick out? Um, and you mentioned that you go for flavor. But how do you get the the varieties? Do people send them to you, or do you get them to try it? it trade shows, or how does that work? Well, the food business is a very international business, and I do, for many years, I've done a lot of traveling. I certainly hear and hear about new varieties, and I certainly get a lot of requests from chefs because I work a lot with people in the food world, um, So, and that's one of the ways I kind of keep up on trends. For example, if you had told me six, seven years ago that I would be selling celery root and rutabaga seeds, I would have thought, you were joking, but now root vegetables are big, um, and a lot more winter squash and daikon and so on. But generally speaking, I used to have to travel a lot. With the advent of the Internet, um, a lot of the vendors and suppliers all come to one big meeting a year That in the United States. Um, uh, it's a food and vegetable conference, and I get to meet with all our vendors, large and small, pretty much everybody comes to it, and you meet with vendors for half an hour or an hour, and you tell them how their varieties did for you, and you look. they tell you about what they have that new, and then that are new that season, and then I select what we're going to grow. So um, basically that it's, it's just really kind of networking in the seed industry, which although international, you kind of get to know the main players, both large and small, and our vendors kind of know the kinds of things that I like. For example, we sell a really delicious pole romano bean that's actually from France, and the way I found that is um, the salesperson for the French seed company was having a holiday in Spain, and he had some paella in the area of Spain where they put green beans in it, and that was the green bean, and when he ate it, he said, oh, this is something Renee Shepard's going to want, and so he sent me a sample, and we ended up selling it. So it's just getting to know people. Like we sell spearmint seeds, and usually mint seeds don't taste very good when you grow them out, um, but this particular strain of spearmint is really a nice one. You can grow it well in containers, and it's grown in the grandmother's garden of our Italian seed supplier. He grows a little crop just for us because he knows we like things that are really good for taste. So, you know, it's like anything else. It's a, it's a network of um, associations and relationships. Yeah, what's the name of the Polo Romano that you like so much? Musica. Musica? Musica. It is a tall, vigorous pole bean with wide, long pods that are extremely vigorous, very juicy and sweet, and really terrific. And how easy is it for, to grow? Same as any other pole bean. Remember, I trial everything, so although I sell a lot of international seeds, they grow the same. If you can grow pole beans, you can pretty much grow a pole bean from any place. That's a good, vigorous variety. That's cool. I'm, I'm going to have to try that because generally the Romanos that I've tried have been kind of bland and okay. kind of dry. And, you know, that's okay if you're doing 
move them with some kind of, well, you know, with a lot of herbs and stuff like that. But, but juicy and fine flavored sounds good to me. And then we try to have a variety of things in the same category. So, for example, in pole beans, I sell uh, heirloom ones that are um, striped um, and purple, and then we sell French um, tall yellow pole beans, and then I sell very fine haricot there or filet, very thin, sweet beans that get long and stay very delicate and tender, and then these big Romano beans. So I try to have lots of things in the same class. I think we sell uh, seven kinds of green basil. That kind wow. of thing. Wow. Your, your Genovese basil that I tried a few years ago, that was the best stuff in the world. No, I try to sell basil from different regions of Italy as well. Yeah. Well, I, I just found that one particularly tasty to me. So what is your favorite vegetable? I don't have a favorite vegetable. I, I really like a lot of vegetables. I, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, that would be hard if you say you could only take one vegetable to a desert island. I would be in trouble. <laughs> now, you're the first thing, I, the first person I think that has ever told me that. I've had, I guess the majority say homegrown tomatoes. Uh, um, I would say had to choose in that way, I would say a variety of salad greens. A variety of salad. You know, I have had that. You know, particularly, uh, I, I know a couple of people that are just smitten with um, with the buttery types, the, the real soft beef types. I'm one that likes them a little bit crunchier, and you've got something for both. Well, we sell a lot of baby leaf mixtures. And mm -hmm. through that, we grow out the varieties individually and then try to pick a combination that grow at the same rate and have a variety of textures and flavors, so crunchy, buttery, smooth, and a variety of um, leaf shapes. And then so we make the mixes up, and then you can grow them in the cut-and-come-again method where you sow them thickly like grass seed and just cut them with the scissors all at once when they're four or five inches tall leaving about one inch of crown in the ground, and then you water them again and you get a second and sometimes even a third cutting. This would be a good time to start them probably in the next month. And yeah. I like this a lot, and I work very hard to develop lots of them. So I think that's one of the easiest, most convenient things to grow for beginning gardeners, and it's also great if you garden in containers because you can get a lot of really delicious, healthy food in a small space. Um, tomatoes, I've grown, but, you I've know, grown lettuce in it um, in indoors under lights in the wintertime, and that's fun too. So even an apartment dweller can can grow their own lettuce. And I agree, your 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 packets with the mixtures are, are really fun. Right. I mean, I like tomatoes. Okay, but there's so much available in tomatoes and corn are what, the two things that we can buy pretty much anywhere in the country. You can buy good ones at farmers markets. So I would probably, if I had to make a choice on space, grow lots and lots of greens. And I try to pay attention to what's really good for you, too, which is greens, greens, and greens. Now, do you, um, talking about healthy, do you, do you get into any fruits, or is it strictly flowers, vegetables, and herbs? We sell mainly seeds for flower, vegetables, and herbs. Of course, tomatoes are fruit, but sure. I also sell um, melons, and we sell alpine strawberries. Your alpine strawberries are wonderful. 
I had some, and I didn't even get them transplanted. So now they're they're growing out in my driveway, in the gravel in the driveway, and they're just happy as clams, and they're blooming now, and I'm so excited. I can't wait for my first strawberry. Well, they're pretty easy to grow. That's true, and they are very perennial, and they don't set runners, and they're um, really a wonderful little plant. Yeah, I like that they don't set runners and that they pop themselves back up from seed because um, when I've grown regular strawberries with runners, we end up after a couple of years with a disease problem here, and then you have to rip them all out and start again. Yeah, your, readers, your listeners may not know, alpine strawberries are, a ti- are, are different species of strawberries. The berries are very tiny, maybe three-quarters of an inch, and they taste like roses and strawberries. They're, um, you can pick a handful a day from a plant, um, and they're very special. You'll never, they're very fragile, so you have to grow them yourself. You'll never see them in the market. Yeah, and... You mentioned grabbing a handful. That's one of our favorite things to do in the evening is, you know, when I was working, I would come home in the the late afternoon and I would grab a handful of them and then come inside and take care of the animals and all the rest of that. But it was a real lift. And, And I put them on salads, too, with a little bit of raspberry vinaigrette and greens, and that's that's another fun way to eat them. Yes, I agree. I just wish we could, I had room for thousands and thousands of them. So what's new this year that's really got you excited? You mentioned that in trends that people are going for the root vegetables. What, what else do they like? Well, I think growing in containers is very popular. We have a whole line of varieties of vegetables that are developed for containers so that they do not sprawl all over. So this year we introduced a bean from France called mascot. It's a really delicious bush green bean that stays very compact. And next year we'll introduce a variety of bean also from France called the weekend bean there because if you can't get to your garden all the time to pick things, it waits for you and you can pick them on the weekend. Oh, really? Now, that's interesting because I know when I was working a lot, um, it was almost impossible to keep up with the beans sometimes. And then you'd go out there and they're all lumpy and then they stop producing. So that's cool. Now, is it that they don't mature seeds? Is that why they hold for until the weekend or what, what happens? The first one we introduced this season, it's called Mascot. It's a French variety and it is called a container bean because the plants are quite compact and they produce really delicious, juicy, slender green beans at the top of the plant. So they're easy to grow in containers and uh, I really enjoyed those a great deal because I'm trying to find have a whole line of varieties that are particularly good in containers. That's the latest one. We also sell a zucchini, forest containers, tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, all of which are compact plants that stay well-behaved in containers. We have a baby lettuce, um, a little butterhead that's about the size of your fist that's really pretty in containers called Sweetie Baby. We have a little romaine, all things that are very ornamental edibles, which is another big trend. Either call me is a Sweetie Baby, um, is that brand new this year? Because I don't remember seeing it. No, we've had that for a few years. Oh, okay. I tried mascot last year. As a, it was a sample that Diane Blazik from All America sent, uh, sent me, and it was just a wonderful bean because it would hold for quite a while. I could see where they were, 
and, you know, I'm pretty arthritic, so I'm crawling around on my hands and knees to find beans. This isn't my idea of fun. And they stayed tender and nice. Now, you also mentioned um, something new that was coming out, the weekend bean. Yeah, that's what the French call it because it's a really good bean if you, um, like I say, have a community plot or don't get it out in the garden every day because the beans develop slower so they keep longer on the plant. So it's not any kind of magic miracle. It's just that they were bred to develop slower. Yeah. Is that right? That's that's right. Okay. Um, so you mentioned the new variety of, of butter lettuce. And what's the name of the zucchini that you said that does well in containers? Um, it's another French variety. It's called Astia, A-S-T-I-A. And it's quite wonderful because it's complex compact but very early and highly productive medium green zucchinis that are very sweet and have a really nice custardy texture. They aren't ever watery, and they also are very productive. I really like this variety. So you put um, one in when you're 18 inches. Excuse me? And then you can have them all season. Now, do you, the, does it spread out a lot in the container? How, how wide does it get? Because I've had... Con- plants that were supposed to be for containers, but then they spread, you know, several feet. Um, you need to plant it in an 18-inch across diameter container. It needs as much container space as you would for a tomato because it's a big plant. And they, I wasn't trying to imply that it would get it eight, eight inches across. It is going to get about two feet from side to side but it's much more compact than other zucchinis. It won't ramble out. Okay, that's a real good thing to know. And does it have any resistance to squash vine borers or, or squash bugs? Um, there really aren't any summer squash that are particularly resistant. There's a few winter squash. Otherwise, the best thing to do is um, put um, a uh, row cover over it until um, you need to let it pollinate. Yeah, well, I keep row covers over mine. Well, I did when I had them out in the back garden, but now my garden's in containers in the driveway, and I think it would look like a shroud. <laughs> so I haven't done it, and I, I just curse the bugs all the time. But, yes, growing under cover is the way to do it, and we have so few bees here now that I end up usually pollinating by hand uh, using a Q-tip and taking it out to the garden and back. We're going to have to take a little break right now, but when we come back, we'll talk more about all the wonderful varieties that are out there. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. 
they can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Polis, and I'm talking today with Renee Shepard. And just before the break, we talk, talked about the winter squash and the summer squash, and we determined that summer squash is going to be susceptible to bugs unless you grow it under a row cover. Um, but you said the winter squashes generally aren't susceptible? I didn't want to make a blanket statement. There's a few that aren't, and the packets usually would say that. I think Waltham. Okay, that's a good thing to know. So what other fun things do you have coming up? Do do you have any more new varieties for this year? Well, you and I mostly talked about vegetables, but we sell a wide range of flowers, and one of the ones that we just introduced that's one of my favorites is um, Phoenix Nasturtium. It's a rambling nasturtium that you can tie up a tripod um, or a fence, um, and they're split. It's a split petal nasturtium, so it has little pinwheel-like petals in a riot of bright colors, like salmon and orange and red. Um, it's really pretty, and it's an old heirloom from 1904 that's been um, kind of rediscovered. I, I really like that one a lot. That's new for us for this season. And, and what's know, its name? It's called Phoenix. Phoenix, as in right, the that rose from the ashes? That's right. Okay. Um, and is does it have edible flowers like other nasturtiums? All nasturtiums, if you grow them without the use of pesticides, are edible. And, they and does it hold up to heat? Nasturtiums? Well, I think if I had extreme heat, I might grow it where it gets a little afternoon shade. Okay, because I tried to grow them when I first came to Georgia, and it, it was not very successful, but I was still sort of feeling my way around, um, you know, trying to figure out how to grow things here, because here we need afternoon shade for our tomatoes, or they sunburn desperately, even even with good foliage cover, they just kind of wilt and expire. Uh, you so know, you've got... You got the flower that you've got the new nasturtium, and do you have anything else? Are you growing for pollinators particularly? We sell a wide variety of different kinds of seeds for that attract pollinators and beneficial insects, and a lot of common garden. You don't really need to feel like you have to plant special plants unless you want to plant Asclepias for particularly for monarchs. But if you want to support um, beneficial insects and bees, then you should plant things that actually most people enjoy anyway, like cosmos, sunflowers, zinnias, cleome, poppies, a lot of common garden flowers, especially if you get varieties from seeds that um, have copious pollen are really uh, good for that as well as hummingbirds. We sell um, many, many different kinds of zinnias, um, all attract lots and lots of beneficials, and when I say kinds, I mean combinations. We plant single colors, 
and then make our own color combinations so that when the reader, when the um, buyer plants a packet of, say, we have, for example, one that's called decor, which is lime green and um, coral pink vineyards, you get quite an interesting combination that's an instant bouquet. Or we have a packet of hot crayon colors and a packet of cool crayon colors. So kind of pride ourselves on those. And they're also very attractive to bees. So there's a lot of easy-to-grow annuals that will really support beneficials. And one of the most important is alyssum. Um, and there are a lot more colors than people realize in alyssum, and it attracts the highest number of beneficials of, of many common garden plants. That's a good thing for our listeners to know because I've found that when we do have bees around, um, they are attracted to the flowers. And, of course, lots of the little tiny pollinators um, that you don't see otherwise come in after the flowers. And I can imagine, I can just see the alyssum all co covered up. How easy is a alyssum from seed? Probably one of the easiest to grow plants of all. So people don't have to do anything special? Do they have to start it indoors or anything? <clears throat> or they just I prepare the ground and throw it in? Most garden seeds, with the exceptions of peppers, eggplants, and tomatoes, which do need to be started indoors in just about all the country, most other plants really don't need to be started in outdoor indoors if you sow them at the right time. So a lot of people think that starting from seed involves starting indoors, but it really doesn't if you just do your timing right. So vineyards can be planted directly. Alyssum can be planted directly. So can sunflowers. So can cosmos. So can poppies. So can lettuce, beans, just about everything we've talked to, with the exception of things, like I said, of peppers, tomatoes, and eggplants that are very long season, so they don't make fruit in time if you don't give them a head start. Most garden vegetables, there's no need to start them indoors in pots. That's a good. I think a lot of gardeners, beginner gardeners, worry about that. And I, I think, again, I think it's partly because we're so far removed from our roots because I remember I planted marigolds and beans were my first two plants, I think, that I, you know, my mother had my brother dig up this three-by-three three space and, and we left room for the tomatoes and we planted the seeds as soon as the soil was warm. And it was so much fun and so easy. I'd run out to the garden every morning to, to see whether they had sprouted yet. And, and I remember very vividly when they did for the first time, and I saw my own seeds growing. And I remember my mother would make a big spot in the front yard and in front of the house and just plant seeds and seeds and seeds. I think that's cool that, that, people, that you were growing enough seeds and giving people confidence in how to grow them. Uh, well, it's really easy to do, and I think people kind of tend to think it's sort of like parenting. Either they think they have to know everything, or they think they have to know nothing. And, in fact, the truth is somewhere in the middle. And, as I said, I try to provide very explicit information in each packet back so people will be successful, and we have lots of articles on our website about how to grow things. So the main thing is to do it, even if you don't get that much your first season, it's just a process that you learn, and best of all, gardening can easily be learned from other people. So it's a good thing. If you know a good gardener, it's really easy to find out how to grow things. All you got to do is talk to them. 
and many states have extension service master gardener volunteers that give classes and teach. I know in our own in our own county we have master gardeners that have demonstration gardens and people come on Saturday morning to look and listen and we've got the 4-H garden that they grow food for the food banks in town and people can come and look at that and see what, see how to grow. But I think people are afraid, don't you? Uh, no, I, I found there's a huge renaissance in growing things among younger people. So I'm not sure that I 100% agree with you. Most of our newer customers are people in their late 20s through, say, 35. I'm, I'm really glad to see that. Now, do you find that people sometimes want to buy plants because they're instant? Does that factor yeah. into some of it? Well, garden centers bring out six packs or eight packs or four packs of plants and really market them, and people want to grow them because it looks easy, and they don't know anything about growing from seed, and they also want to get them faster. And there's no reason that you can't use both. I mean, if you don't want to start tomatoes from seed because you need to start them inside and it takes a while, go ahead and buy an interesting tomato plant. But there's really no reason, and you'll get better, more sturdy plants and a harvest at the same time, for anything like beans, beets, carrots, cucumbers, um, just you know, certainly lettuces, it's cheaper, a lot cheaper. You get better tasting, more interesting varieties, and it's more fun because there's, as you were saying, there's nothing like the miracle of watching something grow from seed. And if the first sowing doesn't come up, we always give you enough seed to try again. We also have a horticultural advising service so if you buy our seeds and you aren't successful you can contact us and we'll try to solve your problem because we know everything grows so we can usually diagnose what's growing wrong it's just not that complicated that is great for people to know um I, and I sometimes talk to people that say well i can't grow it from seed and i remember working in a nursery and people wanted um cucumber plants zucchini plants, and I kept telling them, you know, it, it's so much easier and faster to go from seed and you're going to get a better plant out of it because it's not going to get disturbed and it's not going to have had its roots all tucked up together too tight in the container. Well, I also it, find that people generally, because nurseries get plants really early, a lot of times the real treat of growing from seed is to have well-prepared soil that you've worked up, removed the weeds and rocks of, and added compost or other organic material to so it has a good texture and to start at the right time. Lettuce won't grow in the middle of the summer. It needs cool weather. And cucumbers and um, many fruity plants need to be waited to plant it till the nights are evenly um, in the 55-degree range. So you need to know what's a cool-season vegetable and what's a warm-season vegetable and when to plant them. That's what you really need to know. And then, you know, try it for, you know, 2 $3. What have you got to lose? Absolutely not a thing. And um, they just have to keep the seeds moist and plant at the proper depth. And, and my nature has been doing this for years and years and years. If people look out in their gardens and they see the weeds, the weeds did not get planted by anybody. My nature did it for them. Well, the biggest mistake that new gardeners do growing from seed is not to thin out their seedlings, by which I mean if you plant carrot seeds and a lot of them come up, which is always exciting and a pleasure to see them come up, 
they'll be really close together. And what you need to do is go out there and pull up the carrots so the, the remaining um, roots are about an inch and a half or two inches apart. And it feels morally wrong to uproot all these little seedlings you've grown yourself. But if you don't, the carrots won't have room to grow to full size. They'll be crowded and disease prone. The same if I sell you a packet of zucchini seeds with 35 seeds, you plant them and you get all these little seedlings of which you feel like a proud parent. You then are told to go thin them so they're, you know, 18 inches apart and you feel like I'm not going to murder all those seedlings. But if you don't, things will be close together, really tangled up. They'll be competing and torturing each other. So you really have to learn how to thin to the proper spacing. And I would say that is the hardest thing to learn as a seed gardener. I still have trouble doing that, and I've been gardening for more than 60 years. Well, and it, it just pains me. So I try to space them out uh, a little bit better so I don't have to do as much. But every now and then you just, you know, you need to add a, a little bit for the crow and, and the weather um, and just in case that they don't all come up. Now we encourage in, in our area, we have mice, voles, and ants that will carry off things like lettuce seeds. Well, we, I think most packet seed companies, good ones, give you enough seed to sow more than once. For example, you're going to get 500 to 800 lettuce seeds in a packet and 25 to 35 zucchini plants in a packet. So we encourage people to plant thickly, let things grow to, um, you know, two or three true leaves, in other words, a couple, three, four inches tall, and then thin them out, and then they will grow better and be more vigorous. That's a really good thing for our listeners to know, especially our beginning gardeners. And you actually have on your website a list of how many seeds are in the packet. And I just found that when I hadn't seen it. And, and people would be astounded if they look, as, as you said, with that many lettuce seeds in a packet. You can, you can sow a thimble full of seeds every couple of weeks and, and keep them going all summer. That's about all the time we have for this week. But thank you, Renee. And again, your website is reneesgarden.com. Is that right? That's, that's correct. And thank you. It's been a pleasure. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.